You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, greetings again, everyone. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe. Today, we're going to take a little bit of a detour in our normal thought process. I've invited a a gentleman. His name is Keegan Hadley. Keegan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Doug. Uh, what I'm going to let him explain to you is his background, but the, the theme and the direction we're going is the idea that if, if you've ever experienced a serious physical injury, your recovery may take many weeks or months to get you there, but part of it is your own psychology and, and your mental state recovering from that. And um, I know I've endured my own. I've had some foot surgeries that uh, took a while to recover. And, you know, when your mobility is impacted and even just the simple things of of the way you move around can have a real um, uh, challenge for your headspace. So, um, Keegan, tell us a little bit about your background and your journey and how you got into this work. Yeah, so I, I was an athlete for a, a very long time. I played uh, American football for you know almost uh, two decades. I played through uh, college and then briefly after in the arena football leagues. And throughout that time, I endured a lot of physical injuries, as, as you would imagine, playing uh, football. I had a lot of concussions and um, I actually tore both of my ACLs requiring four surgeries. So as a result of that, um, you know, I, I noticed throughout my career that I actually struggled more with the psychological impact of physical injuries than actually, you know, the physical recovery itself. Um, So that's kind of what I noticed. And then, you know, after uh, a number of life occurrences happening, um, I learned and came upon psychological flexibility and that truly uh, changed the trajectory of my life. And I'm hoping to provide those uh, skills as, as you know, in, in my lessons so that others don't end up in the places I was. So what was the word? Psychological flexibility? Yep. Uh, psychological flexibility or acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT. Okay. So tell us more about what that really means. Yep. Uh, so ACT is kind of a close cousin, I guess you'd say, to cognitive behavioral therapy, which is very common when when you think of someone going to a therapist to talk about maybe their problems. Most of the time, uh, they're likely practicing CBT. Um, and it's it's very closely related to that. But Dr. Stephen Hayes is kind of the, uh, you know, the father, the founder of ACT. And um, it, its only difference is what it is looking to accomplish via therapy. So instead of just alleviating your negative symptomology, it's it's trying to prepare you for the inevitable, you know, that that is life, essentially, there, there's going to be um, trials and tribulations, there's going to be difficult times, and it's just trying to prepare you for that. And, and I can go into, you know, the six foundational principles or pillars of ACT, as well as, you know, the slight nuances, if you want, I don't want to just ramble on though. So yeah, well, I, I guess uh, I, I want to kind of set the framework and then, and then we may well dive into those. But so part of what comes to my own mind about these things is one of the obvious dynamics that inevitably may happen is somebody suffers a severe injury, 
you know, may require surgery, may not, maybe in a, it is an extended uh, fracture recovery period, you know, major bone or something like that. But inevitably, what makes headline news is the whole idea of getting addicted to painkillers. Mm-hmm. So you usually are prescribed some form of pain med with that recovery process. And there's that challenge of, but, and, and I'll say right now and I'll call it a disclosure, disclaimer, whatever, you know, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a therapist. So, um, I'm going to be very careful in what I try to say here, but my point is those are kind of the, what I'll call the obvious things. What else do people endure or cycle into that that triggers this this psychological challenge of recovery yep so essentially one of the biggest challenges that a lot of the people i see as well as you know uh, from my own experience as well as that of my clients is the loss of self-identity one of the first things you talk about when you meet someone is what do you do well if if i heavily identify which i did as a football player for a long period of time and I wake up the next day, I'm, I'm not a football player, you know, anymore. And I have to look myself in the mirror and go, well, who, who really am I? You know, if that, if that's not really what I am anymore. So it's very difficult for people to, um, you know, have those very, very deep conversations and look, you know, introspectively like that, um, as well as obviously that, that impacts your self-esteem, um, you know, and, and it cascades throughout pretty much your whole life. Everyone thinks that, you know, a physical injury is just, you know, the physical and the mental are very, very separate. But uh, when, when you have an injury like that, it, it uh, you know, encapsulates your, your entire being. Um, and that, that's something that's safe to note. Well, go ahead, if you can, can you, can you give us a summary of what those six pillars are that are in the ACT uh, program? Yep. Uh, so you have uh, diffusion, which is essentially uh, diffusing from uh, perseverative negative thoughts. Like for myself, it was, I, I, you know, I am broken. Um, and it's giving me the space to be able to realize I am not broken. I'm having thoughts or feelings that I'm broken, which was a very pivotal moment for me. Um, acceptance, which is the second, uh, pillar. It's, it's a little different than what people normally think of when they think of mental health and acceptance. It's not really like standing in the corner and accept what happened to you. It's more so looking at your experiences and learning from them so that, you know, you don't continually go through the same, um, you know, challenges in life or fall into the same issues. Um, then you have mindfulness, which everyone's usually very well, um, acquainted with. It's living in the moment, not the future or the, past, you know, in which case, if you're living in the future of the past, you're likely going to be either anxious or depressed, depending on, you know, which uh, way you're looking. And then self is a perspective, which is a bit more nuanced. Um, Essentially, that posits that there is two versions of ourself each day when we go out into the world, there's um, kind of the mask we wear, the persona we're trying to put forth, like, for example, a football player would be, you know, tough, cool, uh, no feelings, manly, th- those kinds of things. And then underneath that mask or persona, there's our true self, um, which is who we really are, what we're really feeling, and, and th- those kinds of things. Um, and then you have purposeful action, which obviously without, uh, you know, the rest really mean uh, not much. And then there's values, which um, are very similar to goals, um, except for instead of uh, goals, which are kind of the stepping stones, um, you know, to life. Uh, values is more so like true north. You, you can always head true north, but you'll never actually get there, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. 
when um, when you went through, you mentioned blowing out both ACLs. Were both of them did it happen in, on the football field? Yep, yep. Uh, d- different occurrences, obviously. I didn't right, have right. Uh, you so, know, a catastrophic event uh, all, all at once, but yeah. Yeah, so my, my question is, I mean, the first one's bad enough, but when the second one blows out, was, was that a different experience for you? Yes. Uh, the second experience, obviously, the, the first experience I was in college, so I had, you know, exercise scientists, uh, physical therapists, athletic trainers who were there and really supported me through the whole thing uh, physically, not not really um, psychologically or emotionally. But the second time, I was actually at a private tryout for – the Canadian Football League up in Ohio, um, and my my agent wasn't even there with me at the time. So I, I really went from you know potentially being in the CFL at the time to and now. I mean, it's pretty pretty clear that I'm probably at least not going to be playing for a year. And I decided not to ever pick it up. And and that's where I actually, um, Doug. I have to be very honest. I'm a very slow learner. Um, I, I have to screw <laughs> something up particularly bad um, in life to actually learn something. And this is where I actually fell into, you know, the route that took me to where I am now, because after that second injury, I had no, you know, no assistance. Um, I I really started to abuse substances. I made really poor decisions relationally and started dating who I would find out would be a very severe alcoholic um, and endured a lot of emotional abuse due to that relationship culminating in me being suicidal for a time. Um, so that that was when I obviously knew that I needed to make a change in life. Otherwise, I wasn't going to be going the direction I wanted to. Um, so I started going to therapy. And uh, I'm the kind of person if you say, you know, hey, don't look over there. Uh, don't think that I, I will only, you know, stare over there and think that thought twice as much. Um, so I scoured the Internet and found, um, you know, act change therapists and. Uh, although it's not like a magic pill, I'll never claim that. But for whatever reason, um, ACT worked very well for me. And I was able to start, least, start to slowly climb out of that, you know, pit I was in. So um, that, that's kind of the uh, 10,000 foot overview of the second ACL injury. Yeah. And, you know, I, I asked that because, you know, with you having that unique a combination of of similar injuries, different legs. Um, mm-hmm. The first one's bad enough, but when the second one impacts your real destiny as a professional athlete, mm-hmm. that uh, that had to be a ton of bricks. Yeah, it uh, you know definitely hit me hard because the first one, um, you know, I, I felt very confident that I'd be able to you know, overcome it, especially with all the, uh, you know, help I had. But the second one was this kind of uh, almost nose diving off a cliff, it felt like. Yeah, yeah. Well, in in the work you're doing now, how, <clears throat> where, where do people usually start with pursuing the, the kind of recovery work you're talking about? Yep. So uh, essentially, um, I, I see clients, um, you know, uh, much like this, where we, we get on the you know, the camera and they, uh, you know, we, we talk through their issues. It's it's more of uh, me walking alongside them than, you know, tra- traditional therapy. Uh, but essentially, people usually have like an I've had it moment. Um, I, I need to make a change. What I'm doing isn't working with, you know, my, my current situation with whatever kind of physical ailment they're dealing with. And they usually reach out to me via, you know, my website or, um, you know, maybe, maybe social media, but it, but it generally stems from them having kind of an I've had it moment. And I also like to, you know, direct people to, 
uh, you know, my book or my blog, because unfortunately, there's only, only so much time in a day. Um, and I, one of the things that I'm very passionate about is um, not just turning people away and not having anything for them, because I'm very, I'm very acutely aware of that kind of situation because I, I was in it and I never want to leave anyone else um, in that situation. So. Yeah. You know, what, what you said earlier about the whole identity thing, I experienced myself uh, back in the 2008 timeframe. And as many of my listeners have heard me say, I had a chance, 2008 was when we had the last big economic crisis here in America. I mean, really big, you know, unemployment went up in double digits everywhere. People were thrown out of jobs and I started a nonprofit to help job seekers. <clears throat> and it wasn't long after we opened the doors that we realized one of the chief problems that people had coming to us was the loss of identity. Mm -hmm. And so much so I wrote a short little ebook called You Are Not Your Job. And um, to your point, you know, you walk up to somebody and say, you know, what do you do? Well, what I started doing, I would walk up to our new people that you know, first time they were coming to the program, I would say, not what do you do, but I would say, tell me something about yourself. Mm -hmm. And 100% of the time they would start in, well, I'm an engineer, I'm an accountant, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm so on. And this was men or women both. Yep. And I got real bold in saying, no, you didn't answer my question. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a, that's a that's a great point, and, and something that I do frequently with these people because um, most of the time when I'm talking to someone, they're you know eighty percent of the time or so they're you know wanting to return to their sport, but the twenty percent of the time they're actually looking to get into the quote unquote real world, you know, where where they're not really doing their sport, uh, you know, competitively anymore. So I, I don't usually actually ask the you know who are you or what do you do. I ask why do you do what you do. Because if, if you can find the common themes, which is what I did underneath that question, you can redirect someone to, well, I loved my sport because of X, Y, Z. Where can we put you on a trajectory to where you can, you know, fulfill those yearnings in a day-to-day in -day basis that's not directly, you know, uh, tied to your sport, so... The the interesting challenge that I've I've learned over the years in, in doing that kind of work is that it's not uncommon that people come out of school and maybe they do or don't go to college, but even through college, they get on a trajectory, to use your word, that has never answered, or I'm sorry, never asked the question, who am I? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and as I've heard it famously quoted three key questions, who am I, why am I here, and where am I going? Mm -hmm. And it's too easy in the modern world to get spun up in activities that create direction rather than finding direction that creates activity. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, people, even those that didn't play sports, they get into the, their, their business life, their, their job life. They get a job because they need it. They need the paycheck. They need, you know, they've got obligations. And then that employer gives them opportunity, you know, maybe a next promotion or two or three promotions. And pretty soon you've got 10 or 15 years 
and you wake up one day and go, what is this all about? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily take a physical in, in injury to get your attention on that that idea. So it it is so compelling to have people think about why am I here? Mm-hmm. What am I doing? Where am I going? Yeah, because I mean, we we like you said, if if you're just going and, and climbing the uh, you know the skyscraper towards you know, up higher and wherever you're at, because you're already set on that trajectory, you might get to the top of the mountain and realize you actually want to be on the mountain, you know, three miles to the south from where you're actually at. So um, it's it's always beneficial to begin with the end in mind, uh, which is something I really like to talk about, you know, for those um, undergoing, you know, whether they're just getting out of school or, or whether they're, you know, making a career transition, because unfortunately they've came to the impasse that you're speaking about. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I know Stephen Covey made that phrase famous, begin with the end in mind. That was, you know, one of his seven habits in his um, his pivotal book that he wrote. But it 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 is so easy to said and sometimes so hard to do when I, I know the work I do with people, even business owners that are running fairly successful businesses. I'll engage with them and I'll say, you know, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. And, it's, it's very, you know, they, they, they might say something like, well, I'm making money. Yeah. But f- for what reason? I mean, why? <laughs> Still mm-hmm. goes back to that basic question. Yep. Yeah. It, why is uh, something that isn't discussed, you know, on a wide array of issues nearly enough in uh, today's society, unfortunately. Right. Right. So what, what uh, can can you kind of sum up the work you do in in to just a couple of key thoughts that people that are maybe going through that season of life, you know, how they might start thinking about a different uh, outcome? So essentially, everything that I do within this space is to provide information and direction to those um, struggling psychologically and physically. Um, with what they're currently enduring. So it it may be they have a lack of, um, you know, knowledge on their particular joint injury. I have a whole blog on different knee injuries. Um, I'm helping develop a psychological framework for physical practitioners who are generally with athletes uh, much more commonly than psychological practitioners because it's kind of taboo for athletes to, you know, seek psychological help. So providing that framework and that, and those, that skill set to physical practitioners, especially athletic trainers who are with athletes daily is, is very, very important. And it's something I'm working on with a close uh, group of physical therapists. Curious comment there. Why do you think it's taboo among athletes to seek the psychological help along the way? I think it, I think it, I think athletes themselves think it, it's it's a form of weakness. But but what I try to what I discussed at length in my book is actually um, I, I tried to repackage it in a way because uh, you know athletes are notorious for being you know resistant to that kind of help just because of the way it looks. But uh, but I did a lot of research on ACT and actually it, it makes uh, individuals better athletes and it also has far ranging benefits you know outside of even the workplace. It makes you a better community member, a better business. Uh, person and so on and so forth. So I try to repackage it because, you know, as a conventional 
you know, his, historically, athletes are definitely not the best as far as going to seek help when they're struggling psychologically, because most times they use their sport as their coping mechanism, which is why it's so pivotal that if they have none of these psychological skills that they seek help because they will turn to negative coping mechanisms, which is, you know, what I did and what many do more, more readily. They're, they're much more easier to, um, you know, start using than the actual positive coping mechanisms. Well, I know there, I'm, I'm thinking as you were saying that, you know, the pro golfing world has not been afraid of using psychologists to help them with their games because of course people argue and it's probably a true statement golf is as much a mental game as it is physical for decades those guys have have been known to have a, a psychologist or a therapist in their circle of support people yeah. they might have a physical therapist and, and strength coach as well but they've got a kind of a golf whisperer along alongside with them you know they can't yeah, keep their it, head on straight. It, it's definitely, as you alluded to, that that's a very, uh, you know, mental sport. It's pretty much all mental because, I mean, you, you have a very pivotal shot and then you're walking, you know, who, who knows how far just with your own thoughts. I mean, essentially, I mean, yeah, you might be talking to a caddy or something, but um, I mean, it's, pre it's pretty much all the lead up to a short physical movement. It's all mental besides that. So it's, it's, it's uh, definitely um, a, a little different than the typical sport, but they have been a little better, I, I, I suppose, at including uh, therapists in their day-to-day uh, -day lives, for sure. Yeah, I think it is interesting the the culture that can spin out of of an environment that that may be prone to promote a certain thing or or not. And I'm thinking in a business context, even a culture at work. I know from my own executive coaching, sometimes it's very hard to get an individual to sign up for coaching because there's a perception that it's some kind of weakness and that, you know, I don't want my boss to know that I've hired a coach. Well, the, the irony is, is it's, it's just a tremendously positive investment in improving, you know, your abilities as a leader, as an executive, and companies are usually the ones, at least the bigger companies anyway, they're the ones that come out and reach out to hire us coaches to come in and help with a population of leaders. Maybe they call them, you know, high potentials or they call them emerging leaders or, or just literally some layer of leadership that they're willing to uh, invest in the in the coaching effort but fortunately over the last decade or so the the stigma of having a coach it used to mean if you if the company hired you a coach you were on a, a bad list mm -hmm. you needed to be fixed <laughs> mm -hmm. but now uh coaching is being spun as a as a much more positive uh, career longevity development opportunity not a not a naughty list yeah if as long as you're um people need to understand that seeking to improve doesn't mean you're necessarily in, in a bad situation always obviously there, there can be certain circumstances where that is, is the case you know if you if you're seeing a therapist you could potentially be in a bad place but that's that's not everyone's situation i mean ther therapy or coaching for that matter is you know, can really be utilized by anyone in any situation. So, yeah. 
Well, I, I, what comes to my mind is the reality that for all of us, and anybody that's listening to this and anybody you know, you know, life is its own kind of contact sport. And there's a whole lot of psychology to differentiate those that are more successful at life than others. Yeah. And sure. pe people that enter into a, a lifestyle of struggle, and, and there are those, you know, the proverbial friend that has a black cloud over them all the time. My experience is inevitably that's a, that's a very key psychological challenge. It's, it's their, their thinking that leads to choices that leads to bad outcomes. And if you can get into the psychology of that, you can help people like that turn literally turn their lives around. Yeah, it, it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy essentially. If you if you always think that's going to happen, you're going to act, you know, in uh, accordingly to that, and you know, you're, you're going to prove yourself right more than you probably want to. So, right, uh, yeah, it's it, it's unfortunate, but I mean the, that those kinds of things can be obviously altered, but it it. it takes work. Uh, it's usually just people's uh, temperament or those kinds of things. And like you said, it affects not only, you know, relationships, but it can affect their uh, uh, careers, uh, their family lives and all kinds of things. So. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your book. Yep. So uh, my book, uh, Torn, is essentially um, my story as an athlete. It, it starts with me being a freshman in high school. It's, it's when I started to have uh, panic attacks um, up through my second uh, ACL tear um, after, you know, college uh, in the arena leagues and the CFL tryout and then the subsequent um, emotional abuse and different kinds of situations that occurred as a result of that. And that therapy that I spoke to previously, I, I'm a writer just by trade. So I write because I have a very chaotic mind and I have lists everywhere and a journal and those kinds of things. And um, it was uh, when I was going through my therapy, I would journal about different things that we talked about uh, in therapy, and it came to, you know, be my book very, very organically. Um, and I just went back and re-entered the, um, you know, uh, scientific evidence behind it to kind of back up why, if I would have used ACT in these specific situations within my life, I would have been much better suited to the problems at hand. So essentially, it's kind of an advocation for ACT to be used to you know, not only those who have a difficult psychological injury, but those who are struggling psychologically just as a well. whole. Sounds like a, a, a great help. So, Keegan, tell everybody the best way to get a hold of you if they're wanting to know more. Yep. Uh, my website is uh, keeganhadley.com or if, you know, if that's difficult to spell, the aceltherapist.com is uh, a little easier to spell. It'll take you to the same place. Um, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter at uh, the ACL therapist. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for sitting in with us. I think this has really been insightful and, and hopefully helpful to somebody out there that may be listening and is, in fact, struggling with their own form of uh, recovery. So, um, again, thank you, Keegan. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, folks, we are going to wrap it up, and I, I thank you for sitting in and listening. As always, I want to remind you that we've got a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, and hop over there if um, you haven't yet known about us or over there and seen it, but uh, would love you to join in and leave a comment, give us some information, some feedback that we can use. For now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and uh, hope you have a great day.
You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.